page number 989, 989 in the Church Bibles, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 today. Last Sunday in chapter 1, we kind of homed in on the phrase in verse 4 that says, we boast about your perseverance. Today, the phrase that I want us to focus on well, the phrase is, come at the beginning and end of the chapter. Don't become easily unsettled. Stand firm. Encourage your hearts and be strengthened. So let's read chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed, by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming." The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we, in contrast, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel. He called you to this, verse 14, He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you. 
in every good deed and word. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we are reading of the unique event of Your coming into this world, an event that we don't always fully understand, an event that we can't really fully imagine, and yet an event that we do believe will happen absolutely as You promise. So, Lord, help us to live in the light of what is to come. And to that end, speak to us, we pray, through these verses of Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you just flick back to 1 Thessalonians, the, the letter, uh, 1 Thessalonians, there is something about the church in Thessalonica that Paul is delighting in. He's very positive about these believers. They are going well in their Christian faith. They are full of love and faith and obedience. He is encouraged by them. And one of the things that we can just briefly see in the first letter is that basically he wants them to keep doing what they are doing. He doesn't want them to be distracted or derailed. Just keep going as you are, he says to them. Look at uh, chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians and verse 1. Uh, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. In other words, just keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Keep doing it. Look, look down at, at verse 10 of the same chapter. In fact, he says, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Keep going. Don't change course. This is, this is good. And then finally, chapter 5, the third example, chapter 5, verse 10, Christ died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You see? He's delighted with this church. He's re- I mean, He wouldn't have said they were perfect or sinless, of course not, but He's really pleased with the way the, the Thessalonian church is is growing and is serving the name of the Lord Jesus. And again and again in that first letter, he says, keep doing that. And now in the second letter, which we're turning to these three Sundays, it's very much the same tone. Keep going. Last week we saw in chapter 1, persevere. Among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring, verse 4 of chapter 1. These, these believers, this first generation of Christians, are beginning to face the onslaught of genuine persecution for their faith. And before long, some of them would be martyred for following Jesus. And he's saying, we really do boast about your perseverance because under these trials, many would give up but you have not, so keep going. Persevere. Your perseverance is an amazingly beautiful and precious thing. And now in chapter 2, 
a similar kind of note. He is saying to them, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed. It's the negative, if you like, version of persevere. Keep going as you are. In other words, don't be unsettled and derailed. And in particular, there's a very devious, nasty kind of thing going on here. Don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. The cheek of it. There were people writing to this church pretending to be the Apostle Paul, writing in Paul's name, which incidentally, if you flip to the very end of the letter, we can see he's absolutely emphatic that in this letter they know that it is him. See what he says in chapter 3, verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. See his, his desire to make sure they know that this letter is from him. Unlike some letters that are coming to them purporting to be from him. That's a very malicious, devious, deceitful thing to do, isn't it? To write to a group of people in the name of someone, pretending to be someone, saying something that you know that person would not say. Paul here is, is saying, now listen, I'm calling this out. You need to realize that coming your way are all sorts of claims and counterclaims and supposed learned words of knowledge and insight that are just not true. People are saying things which are absolutely the opposite to what we apostles have taught you and to what you know we have taught you. The opposite. And in this particular case, they were writing to this church saying, the day of the Lord has already come. And he says, do not let anyone deceive you in that way. Do not imagine for a moment that the day of the Lord could come and that you would not be absolutely clear beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are thinking that Christ may have already returned, but you're in doubt about it, you can be absolutely certain He hasn't. There was this attempt to neutralize the effect of waiting for the Lord to come back in the lives of Christian believers. For if Christ has returned already, we can do as we like. We can live as we please. There is nothing still to come. And therefore, all the costly battles of the Christian life can be <sighs> set to one side. It's appealing, isn't it?
because following the Lord Jesus Christ in this fallen world is very costly and is a constant battle against sin within and temptation without and lies and counter-lies that we are living alongside all the time. It's a very costly, relentless battle to follow the Lord Jesus. So if Jesus has already come back, huh, the church can put its feet up. Mission has ended. All is well. Well, I mean, we only need to think like that for a moment, don't we, to think you'd have to be blind and deluded and half mad to imagine that in this world Christ has come and all is well. And Paul is saying, but people are deceived in those ways. We sit here thinking, how could you ever believe that? How is that possible that a church could be taken in by that? But God, through His apostle, is saying to us, people are taken in by that kind of thing. They are. And it happens all the time. The power of delusion on the fallen human mind is unbelievable literally unbelievable were it not true. The level of delusion that human beings can reach is actually terrifying, but it happens all the time. And Paul is saying, I'm writing, dear friends, so that you will not be deceived. Don't become easily unsettled. Let's move on to verses 5 to 12 and just unpack this somewhat strange but also somewhat clear and arresting teaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, wait for it. The man of lawlessness, wait for it. The man of lawlessness about whom there has always been endless discussion down through the years of Christian teaching and Christian living. Who is the man of lawlessness? In verse uh, 7, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, and so on and so on and so on. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of His mouth. Now, wait for it. I have no idea who that is. And neither do you, neither does anyone else, and neither has anyone else ever known. So if we were meant to know who it is, God would have told us, wouldn't he? But he hasn't. But what he does say is that there is a force of lawlessness at work in this world that will build and reach a climax and finally be destroyed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, he says. The lawless one will be revealed. The coming of the lawless one in verse 9 will be in accordance with the work of Satan 
displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So we have no idea who the man of lawlessness is, but what we do know is that he is at work. He will be at work more and more until he's destroyed by the Lord Jesus at his coming, and that he is associated, it's no big surprise, is it, with the work of Satan. So what we do know about the man of lawlessness is enough to be going on with. <laughs> he is at work. Satan and all the powers of darkness that are at work under God's sovereign hand in this fallen world is associated with his work, and one day it will all come to an end. How is it? How is it possible that the counterfeit spiritual world, things that people say about Jesus that aren't true, can be so compelling? How is this delusion possible? Well, it is possible verse 11. How can human beings be as deluded as they are? You ready for this? For God sends them a powerful delusion. God sends them a delusion. There is a interlocking and interweaving beyond our ability to understand in a formulaic way between the hardening of human hearts against God and His giving them over to their hardened hearts. It's the interplay between God's absolute sovereignty over all things everywhere through all of history and the free will of human beings like us. Human beings like us, we are responsible for our rebellion against Almighty God. And God reveals the Lord Jesus to those He reveals the Lord Jesus to and calls them into the light of His family. And others will kick against that light and harden their hearts against His calling, and God then hardens their hearts. So human beings that do not wish to submit to Almighty God become ultimately unable to submit to Almighty God. God sends a delusion because human beings are so far gone in their pursuit of darkness and their hatred of God and His goodness that there is only left for God but to cut them off. Now, we are not God. We cannot see, we cannot understand as He does, but we see enough here in Scripture 
to trust the God who says this and to know that He does all things well and He is the one who will sort out good from wrong, good from bad, right from wrong. How is it possible for people to believe, for example, as many, many people believe that all religions are the same and they're just different paths to the top of the same mountain? I mean, how could people believe that when it is abundantly clear that whatever bits of goodness and kindness are present in any religion, the major religions of the world teach things that are opposite to each other about how to reach peace with God or how to be redeemed by God. How can polar opposites be the same? They can't be, but that's the power of delusion, isn't it? The four guys who were about a year ago digging two feet down into the ground behind our house to put in drainage and gravel, you know, the kind of uh, guys who work physically hard all day. I mean, I would be needing a coffee break after carrying one bag of gravel, and they go at it all day. And in their break, one of them said to me, or said to all of us, said to us, colleagues and to me, oh, I was speaking to uh, my friend who is teaching in Canada, my, my relation, and in their school, he told us, there are three children in this school who now identify as cats, and the staff have put down litter trays in the bathroom for those children. Now, what, where is the limit of human delusion? How is it possible? How, how is it possible for human beings to think that? I see these three builders scratching their heads and thinking, I don't, don't even know what to think. And one of them eventually said, well, do they feed them cat food? It's a reasonable question. they identified as birds and wanted to fly off a cliff, would people let them do so? It's a reasonable question. But such is human delusion, and that's no different now. It may be dressed up in different clothes, but it's no different now to how human beings have always, always been ever since the fall. We are taken in as Adam and Eve were. Eat the fruit. It will go well for you. Did God really say? And they were deluded enough to doubt the clarity of the voice of Almighty God. So it's a very old, very old scenario, the power of human delusion. There are certain aspects, I think, in the, in the climate change mantra that are the fruit of delusion. We're already going past the dates now 
where people 20, 30 years ago said if something wasn't done about the environment, the world would no longer exist by now. And we're now passing the dates where people used to say we wouldn't reach. So that there's something... Now, of course, there are elements of truth in looking after our world and being good stewards and curators of what we've been given. Of course there are, but do you not sense that there's elements of delusion too? And cynically, a bit of a gravy train for those who make windmills and electric cars and whatever else? Call me cynical. But the power of human delusion is incredible. And God says to this church, as he says to us, don't be easily unsettled. When the world goes completely mad and bonkers and believes something that you think, how could people believe that? Don't become easily unsettled. Stick to course. Stay with our gospel that we taught you, says Paul. And keep going. Whatever anyone says, and even when they say it in, in the name of Jesus' apostles, some of us can remember sweeping through the Christian church a phenomenon that was labeled the Toronto Blessing. And I remember seeing on tape as it was then, videotape, uh, this gathering in Toronto where the, the, the leading guy decided he would get all the preachers in the audience out to the front. And his great claim and boast was that he was going to stop, close the mouths of the preachers. This was his great thing. I'm going to close the mouths of the preachers. Why? What? What's going Hundreds and hundreds of people. And this phenomenon is, is sweeping through the churches. And there he was and put his hand on the head of every preacher and they fell flat on the floor and couldn't speak. And we were watching it in the home of my boss and his wife in the highlands in Gerloch where I was an assistant minister. We were sitting kind of slightly jaw open, wondering what on earth was going on and what the point of it was, and with great insight and succinct use of language, Jesse, who's now in the glory land herself, said, that is demonic, and went out to the kitchen. <laughs> she saw it. Delusion. These people are deluded. This is a counterfeit world. And here Paul is saying, don't be easily unsettled or alarmed. The things that the church will go running after are things that in the cold light of day we might think, oh, surely nobody, surely we'd never be taken in by that. And those are the things that we would be taken in by if we don't listen to Second Thessalonians. So, Finally, 
Number three, stand firm. Verses 13 to 17, leave the man of lawlessness behind. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. See the two worlds that Paul is comparing? There is a world that God is giving over to delusion and counterfeit and darkness as they harden their hearts against the true gospel. And now he's saying, but there is you, brothers loved by the Lord. God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth, Spirit and truth together. He called you to this through our gospel, not any other gospel, that you might share one day in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's th these verses, 13 and 14, come like a, a breath of fresh air compared to all the kind of subterfuge and deceit and lies of the following verses. And he's saying, but, but you, you belong to Christ. He chose you. He called you. Whatever else you know, you know this. And one day, his, his intention is that you will share in the glory of Jesus. So, verse 15, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Whatever else, stand firm and hold to this. This gospel which Jesus gave to His apostles, and the apostles wrote down in letters which became inspired by the Spirit as our Bibles. Stand firm and hold to this. It's a great relief. It's a great relief that we absolutely know what we are to believe and what is true in all the ways that count. There's loads of things that we don't know. There's loads of things that we don't understand. There are questions we have all the time about how can this be? I can't make sense of this. Look at the headlines. A guy goes to help a, a woman who's been involved in some altercation lying on the pavement and he's killed by a car when he's gone to help her. I don't, like, where, where do you go with that? A 16-year-old stabs a 15-year-old to death, and you think of the parents of either. Where do you go with that? What is this world? There's so much that we don't know. The families of Israelis who have been traumatized by wickedness, wickedness which is unspeakable in what it does to human beings, the wickedness of Hamas, families that will never be the same because of what they've suffered. And we think, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. And he says, but this you know. This you know. Here you can stand that Christ will come again and sweep all evil to one side forever and you will share in His glory. So stand firm on that. And do not be ashamed of standing firm on that because you have the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave as the reason for which you stand on it. 
may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, current, present, living, risen Lord Jesus. It's very easy for us to forget when Paul wrote a verse like verse 16, he's living within touching distance of the resurrection. And here he speaks of the living Jesus. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May Jesus encourage your hearts, the Jesus who rose from the dead and as we sang at the beginning of our service is at the right hand of God. Look, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now from the fight returned victorious. One day every knee to him shall bow. So stand on that and know that in this world of madness. Know that and let him encourage your heart and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Jesus wants to do that. Christ loves to encourage us. He loves to strengthen us when we feel weak. He loves to reassure us at the beginning of a year that He will take us through the events of this year. Come what may, He will do it. He can do it. He knows what you're facing. He knows what lies ahead. So stand firm. Don't be easily unsettled. And let Him encourage us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are the one who sustains the entire universe by the word of Your power. You know the end from the beginning. The whole of history is Yours. You are Lord over all. And so today, Heavenly Father, we give ourselves again to all that You have taught us. We draw near to You again so that You can sustain us for the next six days until we meet like this again. And whatever wickedness we see or encounter or observe, we will run to You and keep us, we pray, from being easily unsettled. In Jesus' name, amen.